Hey guys, this is Ryan. And I'm Rob. And you're listening to Frontier. Today, we have a special guest on our show. With us is John Kammerer. He's a sound designer extraordinaire based out of Seattle. Uh, he's worked with some really high octane groups around the country, uh, marching bands, drum corps. And uh, today, we're going to be spending our podcast time the next little while probing him for knowledge. Uh, John, we're glad to have you on. How are you doing? I'm great. It's good to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. To, you're our first interview, and um, Ooh, really? Ryan and I are like super excited for this, honestly. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's really funny. I, I had hit Rob up because I know you sent us a message a while ago, and you know, in the midst of all this stuff with nothing going on in the marching arts, I was like, hey, Rob, we should interview uh, your, your sound design buddy that you know. And we were talking a little bit about it, and then you released all your new stuff out, and it popped up, and it it just perfect timing. Like, oh yeah, that's right, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, that's great. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I know John actually from high school. We both went to Lakota East together, and then funny, we were we worked at the same program um, just a couple of years ago together, which was really cool. Just like a decade later after high school, you know, the band director's like, oh, you know, yeah, we hired this guy for sound. Uh, he he actually went here. Maybe you know him. He's which of course, like John and I are the same. We graduated the same year. Like of course we of course I know him. And it was like yeah, John Cameron. He's coming in from Seattle. I was like no way. Um, but yeah, it was super cool to get to work with John, uh, super, super John, you're just like crazy knowledgeable, like, and, um, yeah, we can, okay. And it, but I'll let you, you're here for a reason. I'll let you talk about it. Um, how did you get into sound design and uh, audio engineering? Cool. Um, well, first of all, I just want to say real quick, that whole thing where we ended up working at the same, uh, gig together, that was actually, uh, through, uh, a mutual, another, the guy who was doing the program coordination for that program he uh saw my horrible senior picture on the wall in the band room and he was like i know that guy like he no, had no well, idea that i went to, that i was there or anything like that he's like oh i know that guy and the band director was like yeah wait you know john and so he sent me a picture of me with that really bad haircut and uh he still makes fun of me for it sometimes. That was like a couple of years ago, and it's, it still comes up every once in a while. It's a bad haircut. Bad <laughs> haircut. No one should let me do that. Anyway, <laughs> um, so how did I get into sound design? Uh, well, I think probably a, like the way that a lot of a lot of people really get into like electronic music, and that was making beats when I was like nineteen or twenty years old. I uh, I got a cracked copy of Ableton Live. Uh, no, actually, sorry, I got a cracked copy of Fruity Loops when I was in uh, undergrad. And uh, then I upgraded to a cracked copy of Reason. And then I upgraded even further to a cracked copy of Ableton. <laughs> that was all over the course of a couple months. Uh, I eventually did go legit. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I just kind of started like playing around with electronic music, making beats. Um, I was at a Halloween party in undergrad and there was an electronic musician who was playing some, some guy. And I went up to him afterwards and I was like, Hey man, what software do you use? He's like, Oh, I use Ableton live. It's like, Oh, cool. Well, okay. I, I say that like he was actually wanting to talk to me. No, not at all. He was, he like pretty much ignored me. He's like, was walking away. He's like, yeah, Ableton live. And just like left. I was like, okay, Ableton live. So I went and I found that uh, software and I started using it. Um, 
when I graduated undergrad and went into my master's program, I started taking it very, very seriously uh, in a much more academic way. Uh, I, I kind of stopped the whole trying to make beats thing. Uh, so this is back when I was like 22 or so, 23. I stopped trying to make beats. I just, I focused on using uh, Ableton and Maximus P. I was getting really big into Maximus P and uh, script coding with Super Collider and a lot of other things like that. And I was using that for sound design and composition. So I would pair that with my French horn because I was getting my master's program, a master's degree in French horn performance. And I yeah, so like I, I, um, I was just really fascinated in it. And I was lucky enough that my horn professor, uh, JD Shaw, who uh, at the time he was writing for Santa Clara Vanguard, he took a lot of um, interest and really encouraged me in the whole electronics thing. He allowed me to he allowed me to pursue that almost and at times more intensely than my uh, French horn degree. Actually, that's, by the end of it, it was sweet. definitely more intensely. So that's great. And so, wait, was, what did he teach you at university? Was he your French horn professor? He was my French horn professor, yeah. And and he actually um, by the the last semester in my master's degree, we both decided that I would not be learning excerpts anymore, orchestral excerpts, because it wasn't my career path, even though I was supposed to be. We decided that, um, you know, he, he just kind of like, he, he got it, you know? Yeah. I feel like you hear so many times of professors who just aren't as encouraging or aren't as supportive of their students' interests if they don't line up perfectly with um, the, the degree program. But he was not like that. I, I mean, I owe basically all of this that I'm doing right now to his encouragement. And I'm going to be forever grateful about that. Like the guy, a fantastic teacher and like person. And uh, he That's was just awesome. He allowed me to make my entire master's recital all uh, electronic, which some of the other professors pushed back against, but he fought for for me, which was really cool. And so through that, he also got me uh, hooked up with Santa Clara Vanguard. Uh, I didn't know what drum corps was, you know, this was like in 2014. I didn't know what drum corps was at all. Uh, he just came to me and said, hey, so this 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 drum corps that I work with needs some sound design. Uh, think you could maybe help us out? I said, sure. And by the end of it, I ended up designing like an entire show's worth of sound design. Oh, and a really funny thing where he had me come to his office one time. He's like, yo, a buddy of mine's coming by, uh, wondering if you can hang out and like design some audio for us on the spot. And that dude that came by was Paul Rennick. <laughs> I didn't know who Paul Rennick was at all. I had no idea who the guy was. And I just walked in and like JD and Paul are just sitting there like, you know, just kind of like chatting on the couch. And I'd be sitting there at JD's computer doing some sound design. And this was um, this was for the uh what is it spark of imagination show nice. so it was a lot of like electrical sounds and stuff and that's what i was working on that day and i would make a sound and i'd let them listen to it and paul would sit there on his phone listen to it and he'd look up and he's like uh, can it be more zappy <laughs> zappy he's like yeah just like more zappy i'm like yeah, I'll make it more, okay, I'll make it more zappy. And so I'd try and do that. I and, mean, you know, so that was kind of my first dive into it. And then it turned out, um, I went, I walked into a lesson. I walked, I walked into one of my French horn lessons months later in the springtime. And at that point, I was going to be painting practice rooms. That was my summer gig, right? Because, I don't know, <laughs> nothing else to do, right? 
I walked into the practice room and or the um I'm sorry, JD's office for a lesson. And uh he's like he mentioned that they needed to find someone to run their electronics because I had made so many electronics and it was like hard to manage it. And I said, Well, I'm not doing anything this summer. He was like, What? And I was like, Well, I'm not I'm not doing anything this summer if you need someone to, you know, do that. And he's like are you serious? Because I, I I didn't know what I was signing up for. You know, I didn't know what I was suggesting. He's like, "Are you sure?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah. What, what do you What do you need? You know, like Quick, what sign here on the dotted line." <laughs> yeah, basically, he's like, he's like, "Huh? Okay, one second. And then like, he's like, "Let me let me talk to some people, and I'll get back to you later." And then you know, they wanted me to come on and do it, and so I did that for a few years, and that's that was my that's a long winded way to tell you how I got into sound design. So sorry. <laughs> Pretty sweet story though, honestly. Yeah, don't be sorry. That's cool. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of a lot of like chance and being in the right place at the right time. I think you know, a lot of it, and a lot of it was me just being like really passionate about doing this stuff. So, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so John, you talked about you know being a French horn major in college and getting into the electronic thing. Can you tell um, us a little bit about what you do now professionally, now that you went from like the French horn thing and taking that career path, switching to electronic music to what you're currently doing? Um, yeah, so after my master's program, I pretty much didn't play French horn again. <laughs> um, I just, I, I never connected with it the way that I connect with electronic music. And just like the the hardware, the instruments, I just, I, I kind of understood it a little better fundamentally. So um, through the, I mean, I do a whole bunch of different things with electronics right now. A lot of it's education based. A lot of it is like actual production based uh, and sound design and stuff too. I work exclusively with high schools now because I didn't, I had no idea that was even a thing. I mean, back when I was in band, we weren't doing this, of course, you know, we weren't doing the electronics. Not at all. Um, not at all. Not even a little bit. So like, I had no idea. And it wasn't until I was in um, the, the DCI world that I realized that there was this incredible need at the high school level. And I also realized that I kind of preferred that uh, workflow, I guess. I, I had a lot of different material to work on. I had a lot more um, autonomy over what I was writing. And uh, yeah, so like I eventually uh, started focusing exclusively on the whole high school thing. And eventually I moved to Seattle and got really into modular synthesis. And um, that led me to meet a guy named Michael, who I now run a couple companies with. He helps me with the marching soundscape stuff. And um, we run a lot of music education that are that is uh, music education programs that are synthesizer and um, music production based. So it was kind of a direct line from me starting with SCV to me being where I am now. Just in, I kind of realized that this was a big opportunity, and I really jumped on it. And I really just like worked very, very, very hard to keep myself in the world of marching band electronics because like I like I like I said I, I didn't come from DCI I didn't know what this was and like 99% of the people that do this are have a DCI background you know yeah is, I mean I don't know 99% a lot do a lot have a very a DCI background and like a really hardcore marching band background so I kind of kind of 
came in from the outside a little bit and have had to kind of um i feel like work pretty hard to like stay uh in it and that's just because i like it so much you know like i i just think this is like the coolest thing to do so so like when, when you say you worked like really hard does that mean like networking or you just like focused on it specifically with what you were creating yeah pretty much like i every single year no matter how many clients i was working with the previous year how many i thought i was going to have the next year i would sit down and write out hundreds of like personalized emails to directors all over the country like saying hey i'm here i'm available uh this is what i do here's some examples let me know if you need anything and uh this is the first year that i haven't done that because of the whole covid situation uh, it kind of coincided with my normal time to reach out and I just didn't feel like it was appropriate this year, you know? Yeah. Um, it's an off year. So, um, to say the least, but, uh, yeah, every other year I just, um, spend weeks emailing groups and, um, and I really like the whole personal aspect of working with the groups. So like I travel to most of them which can get really strenuous um, between July and November. So I usually spend around 50, 55 days on the road between that time. Um, and that ends up being a lot more when you think about the fact that usually I have to wake up at like one or two in the morning to get to my flight so I can be there at six, so I can work until 9 p.m. so I can wake up at 6 p.m. the next, or 6 a.m. the next day so I can you know, keep this going and going and going so it gets really kind of crazy in the fall but that's just how it is. And that's kind of why I, I knew, like, I decided that I would do this and focus on it very, very intensely and make sure that um, I was constantly like learning about what the next best thing is and what, like, what the, what the newest, you know, tech is. And I don't know, I just kind of threw myself into it a hundred percent. It's like, it's my entire career, you know, the whole marching band thing makes up, um, until this past year, it made up 100% of my income. Um, oh. Yeah, but this past year with the whole bleeps and loops, um, which is my other company, we've started doing some other stuff. So that's kind of made it a little bit more of a comfortable situation, right? Because like, you don't ever really want like 100% of your income to come from a single source of freelancing. That's a little nerve wracking. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. right now a little bit more lately, but you know, so I don't know if that answered your question or not. Maybe it was rambling, but you know. No, yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, so you talked a little bit about like not really having a, a DCI background. Can you tell us um, how you, how that kind of has either helped or if you felt like it hurt you a little bit in terms of like sound design or just what are some of the differences that you kind of experience in in your sound design versus maybe other people's uh that maybe have a little bit more dci background um as far as career goes i think it has hurt because most people know other people right like a lot of a lot mm -hmm. of i mean this is a very word of mouth activity it's very much like hey we need someone to write drill and it's like oh i know a guy he's really good you know um, and those are usually people that people have marched with or worked with yeah. in the past. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, most gigs are, are, are given that way. Honestly, I feel like a ton of them are word of mouth. 
So in that respect, not coming from um, inside the marching world has uh, hurt the whole situation or made it more difficult. I wouldn't say it's hurt it. It just made it more difficult. But as far as what I actually do, I think it's helped significantly. Like as far as the um, sound design, I think that I spent so much time exploring uh, exploring this world before I even started applying it to marching band that I had a bunch of different, like the, peop the, 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 the people at SCV were very, very excited that I didn't have any marching band background. Um, <laughs> they, they like, all of them continually said that they were happy that I, I came from the outside because it, it added a bit of a fresh perspective to the whole sound of the electronics. Um, and I have a lot of very, very, so my music producer background, and I've done a lot of film scoring in the past too. So my music production and my film scoring background came into play. Um, I think it just would be a different, I think I would, I would just approach it very differently if I had started, if I, if I had been, like so many of the sound designers are percussionists who learned sound design, right? And I'm a sound designer who learned marching band sound design. So it's a different approach. So I think that the sound is inherently different. And I know that um, I know that my like my sampling when I give it to schools, it's much because I view it as another instrument. I don't view it as like like icing on top. I view it as an integral, mm -hmm. interwoven part of the entire sound of the band. I mean, you can't just have like oh, a sample, all of a sudden, it's going to take the listener out of the entire experience, right? You need to have this like bed of very subtle electronics that is more frequent, not constant, more frequent than just like a sample, a big moment. So taking the, taking the use of the electronics and applying it more subtly throughout the entire show, uh, I think gives it a much more modern sort of like film feel to me. And that's yeah. like how I've always wanted to do it. So therefore, all of the sampling um, setups that I do are usually fairly complicated because, you know, I, I don't view it as like every, every 10, 20, 30 bars, the kid hits a sample. They're, they're playing. They're, they're playing it like an instrument. And they need to learn it like an instrument. And I don't know if that's like how other people do it. I don't know if that's a result of me just coming from the outside. I don't really know anything like that, but... I mean, you, you know, know you, you, you know, know, Rob, you worked with me for a year, like, you, you know, know how, you know how it was, uh, for that, for that sampling setup, it was, uh, extensive, right? Like it was just oh, yeah. different. Yeah, for sure. I actually learned a ton from watching, yeah, watching John work with, uh, work with the group and flying in. He, I only saw him, I only saw you like twice in the yeah, season because he's just like so busy flying around everywhere else. But, uh, Yeah. It's cra crazy to see what everything that he adds to the show and like how it all works in. Um, John, are you cool if we we switch here a little bit and start talking about your? Is it Marching Soundscapes? Is that that's the name of your company, right? Marching. Uh, yeah, man. So that that looks super cool. I've seen tons of ads for it, and um, you know the uh, if if it's cool, I'd like to start talking about that. Can you sure. hit us with it? Like, what? Give us your your lowdown. What what is that? What are your master classes here? Okay, so. The, yeah, like just the other day, I released um, a masterclass, an online course. Uh, Marching Soundscapes is three main things, okay? It is my custom design work. It is my online sample library, which is a new concept that I don't think that, it's a new concept in the marching audio world. Obviously, there's a million online sample libraries everywhere, but this yeah. is different, and I'll tell you why later. Um, and then there's the, the online course. Um, 
this all sprung out of the fact that I started a couple of years ago, a years ago, having to turn gigs down um, because of either financial reasons, like the band couldn't afford it because of my own time, uh, things like that. And for years now, for like two or three years, I've been thinking like there has to be a better way. There has to be a way for bands who can't pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for designers to still feel as though they're not being left out. You know, there has to be a way for people who can't hire someone like me to come in to still learn this equipment. Like there's, there has to be a better way that, that doesn't leave out lower budget bands. And that was the whole point. That's the whole reason why I've done this is because I think that like every single group, every student, everyone, if, if their director wants to have the same experience as other people, if their director wants to give them the same experience as big Texas bands, you know, like big Midwestern bands, but they can't because of the budget, then I think that's something that that's what I'm trying to solve. You know, that's what I was trying to trying to figure out. And my solution to that was to start to build this online sample library. And I started that before I even met Michael. But Michael has a long background in online course design. Um, he's been running a, an online, uh, he's been running a company uh, since he was 16, a robotics, a Lego robotics company since he was no 16 way. years old. Um, and I mean, he's very good at it too. He he was the world champion two years in a row, which no one's ever done at Lego Robotics. The dude's, he's a brilliant human. <laughs> but um, he like, he he started teaching these online courses for the stuff too. And he helped me realize the uh, online sample library. I'll get to the course. Sorry, I know this is not your question, but- Oh, no, you're good, um, you're good. <laughs> um, he helped me realize the online sample library a couple of years ago, uh, or about a year and a half ago. And it's still being built out. There's a lot of improvements. It's a very complicated thing, and I couldn't do it myself. I tried one year, and I couldn't do it, but he helped me last year. And then I sat down, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make... I'm just going to make some like quick tips and tricks about Ableton. And I went and sat down and filmed like five hours of videos and, and edited it. And um, I was just going to put it on YouTube, you know? Um, no, no. What did I, what did I do? I filmed like two, two or three hours of videos. The whole thing is like seven hours long. Uh, it's like seven hours worth of content, but um, I filmed a couple of hours and I was talking to Michael. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to probably, it out there you know i don't know what to do with this right now honestly and he showed i showed it to him and he's like no this is a course he's like this this right here he's like but here's the thing you need to flesh it out you need to make you need to add more to it you need to make it better and you need to add a whole thing for main stage and so i took that and i um added an entire other half of the course and i added a bunch of other videos um did all the editing for it and um and yeah so like that that was finished maybe a month and a half ago. And since then, he's been working on building out the website, the securities for it, um, the whole onboarding process, everything. You know, like he he built out 100% of the website himself. And um, and we just released it. So, um, but yeah, so 
I guess I can tell you about, you want me to tell you about the course a little bit, I suppose? Yeah, or? yeah. Uh, actually, no, that, so that was a great explanation. So like, it's a, I was checking it out the other day and it's like a one-time payment. What, like, what do you get for that one-time payment? Is it like you have constant access to all these videos or like, are there exams? Like what, what does this? There are exams. Yep. But they're, they're like, they're not like exams, you know, after yeah. each video, I have about, you know, anywhere between three and six questions um, to kind of check your knowledge, make sure you understood everything things like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you buy the course, the course is yours. You know, it's it's not like a limited time access or anything. It's not like um, I, you know, and you can take it at your own pace. You can watch like a video a day. You can binge it all in one day if you want. Uh, you can, you know, so yeah, just it's a one-time thing. Um, and you get access to uh, everything, to all of it forever in, in perpetuity, so. And um, yeah, is it how when how long ago did you say that you launched this? Oh, it's been like what three, four days. <laughs> okay, and have you had any takers on it? Like I noticed that right now it's at a it's at what fifty percent off for. Yeah, we've had people uh, we've had people go for it. Uh huh. Yeah, it's been pretty cool. We started advertising a little before I kind of threw it out there like publicly, and uh, we had some takers. So yeah, I'm offering. Um, so here's the thing. Like here's here's why we're doing this because. So this course costs about as much approximately as I would charge for coming out for two days yeah. and doing this all myself, right? Um, now, here's what I hate about online courses. When people are like, this course costs $1,000, but now it's yours for only $20. Like, no, 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 no. Your course costs $20. Your course is worth $20. You're just charging 1000 for it, right? Like if someone's going to say it's worth this amount and then have it on sale for like 1% of its value forever, then like that course is not worth the actual value of what it is. It's worth the, it's worth the discounted rate. Okay. Um, but I truly think that this course is worth, I mean, it's, I literally give away everything that I know about Ableton uh, with relation to marching band. Like I teach you exactly even if you don't know Ableton, you could open it up for the first time, sit down, watch the courses, and by the end of it, you'll know exactly how to use it with your band, right? It's, it's like having me come out for a couple of days, teach you how to do it, and set it up. So um, it is discounted right now, half off, uh, just as a launching promo. Um, and but But to kind of offset my slight disdain for the whole like discounted rate on an online course thing um I, we've limited it to only the first 50 people to sign up so once those 50 are gone it goes to its full amount basically but honestly it kind of is like a really good deal because there are some groups that have me come out i mean there's more to do right like mixer programming things that i can't possibly like teach you how to do in like a course on ableton um, there's a lot more of like the sound tech stuff to do, but a lot of what I do is Ableton based. And so I feel like there's a lot of bands that would have me come out like seven times a year or so, maybe eight, nine, you know, I had, I sometimes there are some groups that had me come out for 13 to 15, 16 days a year. And that's a lot of money out of their pocket. You know, and there's a lot of groups that can't do that, but still want to use this equipment and know how to use it uh, and know how to like, you know, work with it. So I think that this is a really good deal for anyone that wants to do that because 
it allows me to share my knowledge with groups that can't afford me in person and it allows me to kind of get other groups to a level where they can be more competitive right like the, the electronics are almost a necessity for a degree of competitiveness nowadays so yeah. yeah i just so yeah it's discounted right now okay yeah um which you know if you haven't already go check out his uh marching soundscapes website uh there is there's uh, a lot of there's like a couple of videos like there's an introductory video about what the course is all about and that's real uh i got actually quite a bit of information on that uh, one thing that i really really did like hearing about that video is just like you know i've working with the electronics before where i was new to them i'd be like why is main stage not working or like main stage is just or you know this or that program is just awful or like it's just not working for me but uh, in reality you know it's just like really a miss um not understanding these programs is like causes most of the problem most of the issues and uh, you can tell from how john's course is set up i think it's like really geared to take you from zero to operational uh i guess pretty quickly here if uh they're they're strictly and down to the point for like how you need these programs for marching marching arts pageantry yeah. arts. yeah i i made that a goal of the entire thing um I mean, I'm going to be honest and, and tell you right here, you can find all the information that's in this course elsewhere. Like, if you don't want to pay for it, you can go ahead and find it yourself, right? Like, it's on YouTube. It's, it's, it's like, it's out there. It's not like I'm, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't invent anything for this, right? But what I did do was I filtered down literally everything that is only marching band related and put it in one thing. So like you could spend a long time scoping out like YouTube videos and trying to like sift through a bunch of bedroom producers. That's the whole thing is that like, I mean, I don't know how many videos of, you know, like, hey, sound like Illenium, you know, like how to make a, how to make a rad dubstep bass, you know? Right. Like you have to sift through a hundred of those to find the information that you actually have marching band. So like, yeah. I, I mean, I've been there, I've done it for years and yeah. years and years. <laughs> That's hysterical. I was like, I was like looking up recently, like how to how to master your track or like how to get use Ableton like um, Ableton regular like stock plugins on how to how to start mastering files and stuff. And this guy's like, "Yo, I just learned how to do this, and now I'm gonna share it with you." Uh, th then swear proceeds to say, "Oh, oh I lost it." <laughs> and I was like. <laughs> yeah so like you know anything you can do to be much more direct and to the point with this like search and this education like yes please absolutely yeah. yes please that's that's what like i you know there was I, I was chatting with someone the other day and they were asking about it, like you know they're like well it seems like this is just a just a beginner i don't see a beginner course i don't really see how you could cover everything about ableton in just this just this one course like and i i, I you can't I mean, you can't. That's not what you, I'm trying to do. You to don't you. need that. Though. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not trying to teach you how to design amazing, crazy sounds. I'm trying to teach you how to functionally use it. Like really, really, really utilitarian, you know? I mean, don't get me wrong. You'll know how to use it. All of it. You'll know all of it. But it's just, it's, it's really to the point, mm -hmm. you know? Really to the point. And that was the whole thing. Like, I don't give you anything that you're not going to use, basically. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. Well, okay. So, so John... Oh, hit it. Sorry, I have a question. Do you, do you have plans to uh, flush that out to other DAW systems such as Logic or Cubase or? No, nah, I don't use any other DAWs. Um, I have tried to use Logic. If you, I use Logic 
for certain things, kind of weird stuff that norm that isn't. It's not like music production. I use DAW for. I use I use Logic for other stuff. But um, I've tried teaching myself Logic like three times, and usually I get a couple days into it. I'm like, well, this is dumb. I already know Ableton. <laughs> you know, like why am I going to spend all my time learning Logic, which doesn't do as much as Ableton? You know, I don't I don't like Logic very much. I don't really like the whole Apple aesthetic um of their software a little bit i think it's a little bit uh um bubbly and childish that's just an aesthetics thing that's not that like shots a, fired all right I, dude i know i know i just like i mean like main stage i don't like how main stage looks you know I, it works fine and like logic works amazingly too but i just i mean i don't know why it just bugs me the way it, the way everything is set up i um and i've used ableton for so long now that i just i i know I know this software inside and out, so I'm not going to try and expand to other DAWs, you know, so. Yeah, totally fair. Cool. Yeah, I feel like a lot of logic strength is not in live music or marching, you know, nothing you can really use other than like, you can, the, yeah. the specialty there is like putting it to film, putting things to, yeah, audio and visual. Yeah, it's it's a strictly production platform, whereas Ableton is a production and performance platform, you know, and especially since I use live to design all my sounds, then it makes a lot of sense for me to get my bands to use live to uh, play the sounds. And uh, yeah, so makes sense to me. That's why I do it. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Use what you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about that, about using, using the dot to play the sounds, using Ableton to play the sounds over something like main stage? Yeah. 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 So um the, the course covers main stage and ableton live equally well um but i'll i'll be the first to admit that i'm um, i'm much more in favor of using ableton as a live performance uh tool uh i just know that a lot of i just know that it's a bit cost prohibitive for some groups and um a lot of groups a lot of people really like main stage so that's why i covered both but my my preference is to use live because of their uh, clip launching. Um, so they have the whole, like basically on, there's two views in live, there's session view, and then there's arrangement view. Uh, arrangement view is where you go to write the music, like that's where I do my design work. And session view is where you go to perform the music. Typically, not always, but that's usually what it's made for, you know? Um, and session view is made up of all of these clip, empty clip slots, basically. And you put clips in there and you can, Basically, each clip is an audio file or a MIDI file, and uh, you can map those clips to like a keyboard. So usually, I like to use actual like this. Actually, is the keyboard I get all my bands to use this um, Arturia Mini Lab. And what I do is I just map a single sample or a group because you can map multiple samples to one key to trigger multiple samples at once. You know, um, and all you do is like play it up chromatically, and I think that that's um, because you can you can map it like that you know you can do the same thing in main stage um but it's not as easy and it's not as surface level to work with like you have to go into sampler instruments basically to deal with it in main stage whereas in live it's just like your sample is there in the clip slot and you can see it so that's i really like that about it um and I think that live does a better job of dividing things up and allowing you to group and organize stuff. 
which is kind of crazy to say when you're looking at main stage and you see it's like an entirely customizable user interface. But I think that sometimes that super customizable user interface, um, there's some room for confusion with it a little bit. Like, you do you really need to see a graphic like view of a, of a of a keyboard to know that you're playing a synthesizer? Like, I don't think so. You know, the kids don't care. You know, they don't. They're not going to be like, well, I didn't know it was a synth until I looked at this at the screen and saw there was a synth on it. You know what I mean? So like, I just, I just, I don't see the need for that graphic user interface. Um, But some people really like it. So I just think that Ableton's more flexible, but it's more difficult, right? Like, like Ableton's a much tougher program to learn. Uh, It goes way deeper than main stage, and that can be scary for a lot of people. So while I do like Ableton for all the reasons I I said, I get why people use main stage, which is why I thought it was worth me covering it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ryan, do you have anything else about soundscapes? Uh, no, I would just encourage people again to go check out uh, John's website, mm-hmm. marchingsoundscapes.com.org. Uh, yeah, uh, marching, marchingsoundscapes.com. Yeah, and I and I do want to mention that sample library that I talked about for a second too. Um, yeah. I didn't get to kind yeah. of explain that. Please that do. Was a, um, that is that is a huge and ongoing endeavor, and it will be forever. Um, but in and it, it, it's it's in the midst of a redesign right now. I mean, it's 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 a difficult thing to get right because what I am trying to do here is so basically, I'll sit down for a design session uh, in the off season, and I'll say, all right, I'm going to make a pad today. That's my job. That's my one job for today is to make a single pad sound, and I'm going to make that pad sound in 120 BPM, 70 BPM, 80 BPM, 100 BPM, or whatever. Usually I do about seven different tempos or so. And for each of those tempos, I'm going to make sure that pad is in every key. So multiply that seven times 12, and I have to make whatever that is. I don't know that I don't know the math is, you know, but like I have to make <laughs> um, these pad sounds yeah, figure it out. <laughs> figure it out. I'm on it. I'm on it. <laughs> so it's probably like uh, 84. 84. 84 different samples. All right. So <laughs> I have a single sample with 84 variations of that sample. All right. And each of those has to be rendered out and uploaded and labeled and organized and put onto the site. So why am I doing this? Right. Like why am I creating 84 versions of the same sample? Because what I'm trying to get at, what I'm trying to do here is create a way for a band director to be like, all right, I got four bars here. It's empty. It needs some kind of electronic pad underneath it, right? Like there's, there's nothing but a snare break here, and it's just kind of a bit empty compared to the rest of it. I'm going to go onto the website. I know that I need a pad sound. Like these are, these, are the, these are like the specifications. I need a pad sound in the key of A at 120 BPM that sounds kind of spooky and uh, lasts for this long, okay? So these are the different, oh, and I should say the other thing too, is that I make them all different lengths too. So multiply that 80 something by like four different lengths. So each one of them has hundreds, right? Like there's hundreds per sample. Um, And I'm just trying to make it to a way. um, So there are other sample libraries out there. Like I said, the internet is awash with sample libraries. But what they don't have is a way for you to sort by key, tempo, length, style, and uh, type of sound, like pad, whatever, you know? 
Um, and I know that that's what people need. I know they need to sort things that way. So they, they know there's a gap of some sort in their band, in their, in their show, and they need to know how to fill it. They need a way to sort, sort, sort through all the samples and find one that works without me having to edit all of them because I don't have time for that, right? So that's why I'm trying to do all that front-end work. Even if no one ever buys 90% of the versions of a sample that I buy, that I, that I create, doesn't matter, the option's there. Right. So um, that sample library is always growing. It just takes a lot to fill it out because uh, and it took an incredible amount of like custom coding work on Michael's end to make it sortable, like to, to be to, to actually like host that number of high quality samples to make it so that everyone can listen to each sample ahead of time. Right. Like that. And, and, and to make it so that like there's an incredible amount of like of web design that went into creating creating that library the way it is structured because there's nothing like it there's nothing there's nothing that can that can do that out there in that way right now for the marching band world and that's what i'm going for and that is a constant ongoing process and i'm getting a lot of good feedback from band directors lately who are um, looking through it and giving me advice on how to make it easier to search uh, which is one of our struggles right now is trying to figure out how to make it easier to search so we've got some good ideas we've just been uh, we've had other stuff going on, so we haven't had a time to update it yet. So anyway, that's the other element of marching soundscapes I wanted to at least mention. Yeah, no, and that's having looked at your site. That's so true. If you're if you're looking through that sound library, it like reminds me of the Adidas shoe app, where you're like, all right, well, what's available in this size? I need this color, and uh, I'm looking for the original style. As to where for John, it's like pick your length, pick your key. Um, mm -hmm. What else was it like? Uh, like riser or pad or something. Yeah. Length, key, tempo, uh, type, which would be like riser, impact, pad, whatever, and then style, which is a kind of a broader category for things like nature sounds, horror sounds, ambient, things like that. You know, it's it's hard to put words to music, so I, I sometimes will tag things in multiple ways in case someone wants to, you know, try and make it so like multiple roads lead to Rome. Not all, but multiple. <laughs> um, so, um, but yeah, and the reason why I'm doing that too goes back to the fact that I think that bands who can't afford custom designers deserve to have the show that they should have for the kids too. I just think that I, I mean, it all comes back to that. We, we, you know, like I can't charge less and pay my bills right i have a ceiling to the number of clients i can take on every year as every designer does and i have an amount that i have to make to pay my bills but i, I if i could i would take on a hundred clients a year you know but i obviously cannot do that so this is my answer to that this is my answer to bands who can't afford me this is my answer to my own limitations as a meager measly human being so, and uh, how many how many programs do you take on a year between 15 and 20. okay Oh, wow. Which is a lot. I, I think this past yeah. year I did 22 and I won't be doing that again. That was a lot. <laughs> yeah. And is that all fall or do you do indoor stuff or? Oh, I do some, that was all fall. I do some indoor stuff too. I don't really, once marching season's done, I'm kind of done a little bit. Like I am, I am burnt out in a way that is, is very deep down and requires months to recover. Um, <laughs> so I, I work with one indoor group. And I do some editing for a few different winter guards. 
but I never look for those gigs. I just kind of like, if someone asks me, then I, I'll go for it. You know, I just can't, I can't keep it going. I need a break, you know, after the fall. So. Yeah. That sounds like a sprint. It's like a, yeah, like a, geez, that's a lot to handle in one season. I don't know how band directors do it. Cause like their schedule is only is, is like, I mean, you know, yeah. I don't know how anyone that works with the band like does it year round. It's it, it blows my mind, honestly. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a lot. It gets real heavy, and you can you can see it stress them by the by the end of the season for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so we, this is going to be a two part podcast with John, and uh, so I think that's the conclusion of our first episode. Um, we'll be back here really in just like a minute or two with our next podcast, but for you guys, you'll all have to be waiting like a week or so. So, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, make sure that you are sending in your feedback. Tell us what you thought was cool about hearing from John. Um, wait till next week till you hear more from John. Uh, and per usual, let us know what you want to hear on our episodes. Give us questions. Ryan? Absolutely. Next week we'll be uh, talking about, or next next episode we'll be talking more about the audio uh, side of things. Today was a little bit more sound design generated, so our next episode will be a little bit more audio stuff. But uh, check us out again with John next time on The Frontier. Frontier.